Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the Leadership Portraits podcast. I'm your host, Lee Edward, and uh, today we are going to have a conversation with Jerry Bumgarner, who is a personal friend, and many of you listening today may know him. Jerry has had more than uh, 30 years of experience in leadership positions in companies such as the Nissan Motor Corporation, Pacific Life Insurance, and in the Cascade Employers Association here in the Willamette Valley. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you some of Jerry's insights about leadership from the perspective of his work in some significant corporations and as a vice president within Pacific Life Insurance, and also in his coaching and leadership development role within the Cascade Employers Association. Even leadership is really two people, okay? Yeah. <laughs> the lead or the lead E, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, what I learned about that was that uh, Never go in and assuming you know what's expected. If the boss is not so great about communicating what's expected, then write your own goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, that was probably another issue about me, is that my focus was on me being successful. Now it's more about them being successful. Right. That's a know? huge readjustment. It, it is, it's a huge readjustment, and it's a problem. I hope this conversation inspires you to reflect on any undealt with issue that may be hindering you from being the kind of leader uh, that you've always dreamed to be. So thank you so much for the gift of your time in listening to this episode. If you find this episode valuable, I'd really appreciate if you would help other people to find it as well in whatever way is most convenient for you. We're going to jump right into the conversation today, and we're going to start by developing Jerry's childhood from the time he was in the foster care system through his uh, history with his parents, living with his grandparents, and on into college, and then uh, into his uh, formal leadership roles. So without any further ado, here's Jerry Bumgarner. I actually, my first memory as a child was in a foster home. I I definitely... uh, experienced that and it was a very positive experience. I, uh, uh, when I was three, I, I remember being in a foster home and didn't realize it till years later, but I, I just knew that there was something really good about these people. I probably left there when I was four, but I still remember their names and uh, years later, God gave me a vision, a memory uh-huh. of being in church with them. So they, they were definitely a, you know, a Christian family uh-huh. that we were with. And then we went out to, to live with, uh, with grandparents. Um, on my mom's side and on my dad's side and uh, that wasn't a good experience I mean we, we ended up growing up with grandparents and uh, mm. uh, it, which is really foster care you know and it's not your parents so in a way yeah I, where were your where were your parents at um, my dad was in prison mm. and my mom was a, a broken person that uh, basically after the she abandoned us and didn't see her until Probably I was about 14. She picked us up at the foster home and took us to her grandparents. So, okay. or her, her parents, I'm sorry. And then, um, you know, we just didn't see her after that. And so we grew up in that environment with a lot of uh, emotional, um, physical abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, grandparents were, were um, alcoholics, and so we grew up around wow. that and... and uh, you know, just a lot of uh, rejection and and the abandonment, and then you know, uh, I was pretty. I got I was sexually molested when I was 
um, about eight. So it really, and it was by my dad actually when he got out of prison. So um, it, it, uh, I was pretty broken by it all. And wow. so I wasn't learning in school and uh, um, I eventually uh, got kind of teacher. <laughs> God gave me the right teacher that took an interest in me and and from that point forward, I, I just so I became a good student, <laughs> mm -hmm. and a lot of that was my way of escaping. What was it about the teacher that caused you to take a turn, well, turn a corner there? Interesting, it was my first male teacher, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know he just cared about the students. He really did care. Wow! And I felt it. What was it like for you as a young boy processing all of that had happened to you emotionally? Like, how did you talk about that? What was that like for you as a young person, and, and how did you kind of recover from that? I decided to, uh, I, I made it kind of a vow <laughs> when I look back at it and just said, um, one day I said, I, I'm going to college, you know, and uh, because I wanted to escape all that. You know? And you felt like college was the way out. I felt that that was a way of, of reaching a, a, a getting out of the dysfunction, you know, and having a successful life and stuff. And uh, But, you know, the interesting thing is because I grew up around the alcohol and the drugs. By the time when I was 11, I was drinking and using drugs and, and uh, you know, had a lot of sexual experiences, you know, throughout my teens, you know. And, uh, um, but I didn't let it, any of, the, of that stuff get in the way of my education because I was so determined. And, uh, um and, and I was told. I was told actually in high school that I wasn't college material, but th then something else happened, and and uh, I went out for track, okay, and discovered I was a good distance runner, okay. And so actually, between the ages of well, between my sophomore and senior year in high school, I didn't do any of that stuff. Became a good distance runner, and to me that I got my mm -hmm. satisfaction that way, you know. And and you know, I, I looking back, I know I was running and hiding from all the dysfunction and early on and, uh, and you know it gets back to control I think mm -hmm. a lot of it just controlling my you know I, I if I if I was under control I could feel successful and, I'm, and as long as I was doing that and as long, and, and running the interesting thing I actually played uh, football and baseball um, and but that was a team effort <laughs> interestingly mm -hmm. and we didn't have great teams <laughs> mm -hmm. but in uh, uh, cross country and track if you know since you it wanted was to me win. <laughs> what's you, that you wanted to win I wanted to win and be yeah. the best yeah I wanted to be well I didn't know if I was about the best I just wanted it was about winning you know yeah and feeling successful I think yeah. it was huge for me yeah. and uh um, so, you know, going to college and uh, graduating with honors, that, that yeah. was huge for me, too. I did it, and first in my family to go to college or anything. And college was this big deal, like going to college when you were a young person. So then you graduated, and then what? Was there another goal in mind for you? Did you have, like, a trajectory that you wanted to be on? Or? Well, yes. I wanted, I what mean, I'm still on this. I, I wanted to succeed, Okay. Um, I, and what did that? What did I, succeed mean to you? Yeah, <laughs> it meant uh, pretty. It was, to me, it was more about the money because we were pretty poor. Okay. And uh, I knew that moving up the ladder was a way to, you know, make money and 
but also, uh, you know, money wasn't the only major success that was part of it. Mm -hmm. But moving up the ladder was, to me, a sign of success as well. I mean, I went and I, be I became a business major not even really knowing what it was, <laughs> you know. And uh, I became a human resources major because I liked people. <laughs> okay. But not being a very good, not being a great people person, I was pretty much a loner. And so, so through but, but all, the way, all I, the way through college... Did you do you feel like you ever had a close relationship with people? Mm -hmm. No, no. I mean, I had a lot of friends. Right. I was even in a fraternity, but I could talk about a lot of things in my life. But I didn't understand, you know, uh, rejection and a lot of things like that. And I would not talk to anybody about the sexual abuse. I never talked to anybody. I know we can get to that wow. point. So this whole time, all the way in your youth, college way into your adult life as you know working professional mm -hmm. you had you, you kind of just kept people at bay from this part of your history and part of yeah. your life story yeah what did you do with that did you do you feel like that kept was was currently affecting you through all this those years absolutely i didn't i mean i always said i can i can live with that i just keep it back here i don't want anybody to ever find out about it and uh and it's 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 not it's not affecting me now. Well, <laughs> it did it did in, in big ways. What would you say were like the dominant ways that it affected your life, professionally or just even personally too? Professionally, it it affected me because I was so results oriented, but. Um, you know, about 10 years into my working career, I went into leadership roles where I wasn't just working for somebody. <laughs> okay, I was uh, um, leading other people and and uh, not just uh, people that... I never had a large staff of people, maybe three, four at the most. But, you know, I had to be out there influencing other people in the organizations. And, and we're talking about good-sized organizations. Tell, tell me a little bit about the organization that you're working for when you became a leader there. Um, well, I went uh, actually worked as a as an individual contributor for a company called Tycor um, for a couple of years. Then I went to Nissan Motor Corporation. Okay. What happened there was that I hadn't had a, ever had a performance review up until then. This was probably about about seven years into my career when I was at uh, Nissan, and uh, man, I just worked. Lots of hours. I did everything that, that I was told I would. If my boss stayed late, I'd stay late and help him. And then he gave me this performance review, which was a it was a big thumbs down. You know, me being that very performance oriented, that just didn't work well with me. You know, and so I, I um, he apparently had things that he wanted me to do that I hadn't done, but he never I never knew it. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, and it was my first. You know. Um, I wasn't a manager yet, but what I what I did, I just went and talked to his boss and told him how disappointed I was in it. And his boss says, "Well, let's just do this. Just get, give Jerry some very specific goals." And so um, I uh, accomplished the goals and I got them done ahead of time. It was, and uh, as a result of that, they made me a manager. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think you know, leadership is really two people, okay, yeah. <laughs> the lead or the lead e, you know, mm -hmm. and. Uh, what I learned about that was that uh, never going and uh, assuming you know what's expected 
if the boss is not so great about communicating what's expected, then write your own goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and from that point forward in my career, I just I would write my own okay. my own goals. Okay, so anyway, I started into this you're management. Kind of, you're kind of back in the track days, making your own goals so you could be successful on your yeah, own terms. Basically, yeah, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So then, so, so you became a manager. I became a manager at, and what was, this that was like? at this was at Nissan and uh, you know basically I was a, a, a functional manager because I had a clerk that worked for me well I got to be the person who was responsible for developing and maintaining you know the whole pay structure for the organization and uh, and usually a tied performance to that so I was responsible for performance management as well it was a good time, but I also learned some really bad management habits mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as directing people are concerned. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I moved from there uh, after about five years. My first real management role, okay. I was uh, in, a, in a leadership role, was when I moved uh, from, from Nissan to Pacific Life, where I was at for 13 years. Is that insurance? What is that? Uh, Pacific Life uh, at the time was, uh, yes, insurance. It was uh, individual as well as group insurance, but they are also into uh, uh, real estate and securities investments. And um, what, what kind of a role did you transition into with Pacific Life? Well, I eventually became a vice president of the organization. I started off as a, what they call a salary administrator and then became a, a compensation manager, the director of compensation, eventually an officer of the company. And let, let, me, let me just back up real quick because sure. I think we left out kind of a, an important element in there and that is that uh, during my um, back to the college days that I took up the drugs and the alcohol again. Hmm. Okay, and I did that all the way through college uh, and all the way up until I was 30 years old. Hmm. So, uh, experimenting with all kinds of, of drugs and stuff that, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, kind of conflicted with this goal of being successful. Mm-hmm. I was still move, moving up the ladder job-wise, but um, party it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in my work, I would never go to work high. I would never do any of that because that was more important. Mm-hmm. But in the evenings, I mean, it's what I did, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I think... Uh, I kind of look at it this way. I was trying to control, but I was really out of control. Mm-hmm. What do you, so, you were out of control? I think so. I look back at it, yeah. You know, I said it was out, I was out of control. I seemed to be in control. I had the big house, you know. Uh, I had the, the family and the kids and the wife, and, you know, I was going to church. And So this so this is your, after you're 30, you met Denise, mm-hmm. were married. Yep. And living in Southern California still? Yep. Yep. And uh, did they? I mean, so what was that like for them? Did they know about you know your partying on the, the evenings and stuff like that, or did, how did? Oh, I didn't. The, I stopped doing all the partying when I became a Christian. Oh, okay. okay. So okay. that was right up to that point. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. And um, you know, I, I had all my you know. Again, in retrospect, I was hiding, and but once I I got saved, I mean, I was. You know, really more involved, in at least learning about God. <laughs> okay. yeah, right, right. I did some of that in college, but did you have uh, any background in terms of Christianity or following Jesus or? When not, not really. Up? I mean, when I was six years old, my like when my dad was in prison, he converted to Christianity, Catholicism, and so he uh, he uh, wanted uh, my brother and I to get baptized Catholics. Okay, and so we went through all the stuff and. Uh, 
got baptized and uh, and then just started running from church because it was all I mean back then it was all Latin if you wow. go to a service you didn't get anything out of it that was a that really turned me off to yeah, I can imagine religion and I got accepted at at, uh, at Loyola he, most of the kids that were going there were right out of Catholic high schools and stuff in the LA area and here I am and there's others but uh you know, didn't know anything, you know. And so we had to minor in theology. And uh, um, there was actually, I lived on campus for the first couple of years, and there was actually a Catholic church right there on campus that um, during part of my first week, I think I went and looked in the door and just walked away from it. And So I, I really wasn't uh, engaged in it. So when you came to college, that was like your kind of second experience with something related to yep. the church, yep. it was it was Catholic. Yep. Okay. Yep. And to me, that was religion. Yeah. And uh, it, I, it was so much hypocrisy for me, from my perspective. That what am I going to get from that? Just so much hypocrisy. Yeah. To me, it was just boring and didn't want any part of it, and didn't realize that there was churches out there that really loved Jesus and really tried to, to serve God. And so up, I up to that point in your life. You you mentioned earlier on mm-hmm. having a memory of going to a church yeah. with your foster parents. Other than that, mm-hmm. was there ever anybody in your life that was a, a Christian influence um, of any of any strength? Could be somebody that directly interacted with you, or just somebody maybe you saw from a distance or heard about. Well, uh, other than Catholicism, um, it could have been somebody that was Catholic, but somebody that stood out to you as like authentic, real. Because you said you mentioned person. hypocrisy. Actually, they're they're. Uh, I, w- I was planning on just going to a junior college, and uh, uh, I had some good friends in in town, and um, they found out that I was uh, I was interested in college, and and uh, my friends. Uncle was a Catholic priest in LA, and next thing I know, I was getting paperwork from him to apply for grants and scholarships and stuff. And hmm. he kind of, to me, that was a, it was a, I don't know that, uh, I didn't know enough about him that, but I really felt like it was something, someone God sent. Like know? you felt loved? Yeah, I did. I really did. Yeah. Somebody cared. And while I was in college, a friend of mine's, uh, family uh, I, my car died and uh, they loaned me the money to buy a new car hmm. and uh, they were Christians okay so, so another uh, positive impact yep yeah. um, I didn't connect them at that point really I wasn't connecting dots in that way but and um, what what tell me a little bit about your conversion to Christianity what what happened to kind of change the course of life that you were on to, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to be, I want to participate in the church. I want to live different. Like, what, what yeah. was that? Well, it just seemed such a, I mean, I uh, met Denise and her family, and, uh, you know, she grew up in a Christian home. And, you know, it wasn't the best Christian environment because it was more of a cult. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a cult. I mean, a cult's pretty extreme. I wouldn't necessarily assume that you met a cult by not the best Christian environment. Well, I met Denise, and uh, she was very genuine as a Christian, and, and she she loved God, Jesus. Um, I, I saw that in her, you right. know. Right. And she would not. Um, the only way she would go out with me was to go to a public place for lunch or something, because. Um, I had a 
pretty good, well, not good, bad reputation. Gotcha. <laughs> so you, know, you, you met her at work? I did. At yeah, Pacific she was working at Nissan, too. Yeah. Nissan. Okay. Yeah. And being in HR, I got to get her all the way all around the company. Anyway, she did, and I, 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 I was just amazed by mm. her. You know, and it's just a totally different view of, of Christianity. And mm. uh, but the, the thing is, the people really had. I mean, they were wonderful people. That right. um, they they loved one another, and um, um, they loved God, and they, you know, it was just more authentic. But it had some. Cool, Mm-hmm. Problems and 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 one of them was that uh, it wasn't uh, you know once you got um, uh, baptized <laughs> this really was the key for them um, if you committed a, a a major sin and you know then you were actually cast out of the church wow yeah judged and anyway so that that's where we were and God eventually led us out of that. That church, and of course, we were then rejected because you mean right because you left, yeah, because we left and we we're no longer walking with the Lord, but actually, we went to a far better place. And mm-hmm. so, you're so you're like in your 30s, early 30s, mm-hmm. you married Denise, you guys started a family, you're living in Southern California, mm-hmm. you have this leadership position mm-hmm. at Pacific Life, mm-hmm. and you still have this unkind of talked about hidden story of your past it's that that you're trying to manage and hide away but it's still kind of coming out and affecting you how as a leader in Pacific Life how do you feel like that manifested itself through my uh, relationship with the people people that worked for me and uh, other people around the organization um, again my those relationships were very shallow and I was more focused on the result okay. as, as opposed to how how we how I got there, you know, and uh, really more focused on results than people. Yeah, yeah, and don't get in my way. Wow. You know? And uh, so I turned some of the people that worked for me off. I turned some of the management off. They were all very happy with the results. And uh, one day, um, my boss took me to lunch at the once I finished this. It was a huge project, and uh, took me to lunch. and said, "Jerry, you're, uh, you you did a really great job on this." And then he said, but, uh, you've left a lot of bodies in your wake. Hmm. You know, and being a boater, mm-hmm. I knew that wasn't good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, Were uh, you even aware of that? No. No, not at all. I, I was um, just focused. You're back in track mode. In track mode, exactly. You know, and uh, I don't need to be part of a team. It didn't need to be. Part I can of win the team. on my own. You guys are going to hold me back. That's right. Wow. And you know, when when uh, he said that, it was just like uh, I uh, just saw everything kind of flash before me. You know, uh-huh. in, in human resources, you have to be people oriented. <laughs> <laughs> That's know? what I would think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so uh, you know, he. Uh, it was right. It was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me in my career. Wow. Him saying that. The the other part of me said, "Oh, God can't be happy with this," <laughs> mm. you know. And uh, you know, he. Uh, I think he probably used Tony, who's the boss, for that mm-hmm. uh, to bring something up, and that I was really uh, to be successful in my career. I had to be more people oriented, you know. And so. Uh, I actually, uh, as a result of that, I went and apologized to a lot of people. Wow. I wanted them to know that, I mean, it, it, it 
it broke my heart that I would have that kind of an impact on him and, and now, gave did, them... Did, did Tony give you specifics or did he just kind of say something general like you left a lot of bodies in the wake? In oh the yeah, wake. gave specifics, yeah. Okay, so like you, so when you went and like kind of tried to restore, repair the damage in those relationships, you like had specific things yeah. with specific people. Yep. Okay. Yep, and uh, people, in, people in my department... And people in other areas of human resources, and we had 30 people in HR, so I mean, you know, several management positions, and okay. I was one of the managers, and, uh, you know, I knew that I had, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a wake-up call, and I woke up, and... Uh, why do you think that was? Why do you think you woke up, or why did you respond that way? I mean, what, because previously, like, you were so results-oriented, you were still running track, you know, so to speak, in your, in your mind... And suddenly, Tony sits down with you and says, you left a lot of bodies in your wake. What was it about that that caused you to turn a corner? I never wanted to hurt people. Okay. You know, I mean, I knew, I mean, it was clear that I had, you know, and people had come to him, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it made me kind of reflect <laughs> mm -hmm. on, uh, on my whole style and everything, you know, and uh, um, quite, quite, I mean, I know that, in, in, that I inherited the staff I had there, okay? And quite frankly, some of them didn't want to work very hard, <laughs> you know? But I wasn't going to wait for them, you know? Um, I would have been better, far better off to have uh, brought them along, you know, included them and, and uh, you know, got buy-in from them as far as the direction we're going and, you know, let them be more uh, part of the success, mm -hmm. you know? And we still would have succeeded. So it was more like you were kind of just telling them, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to do. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Yeah. And here's, so, what here's, here's what we're going to get it done by, you know. So up to that point. And I probably just, yeah, I, I yeah. probably did more of the work than I would have had to have if I brought that along. Gotcha. Up to that point, had you never been aware of your behavior, attitude, leadership style, management style? actually negatively impacting people? Yeah, I didn't. You know, to me, it was about getting the job done. So, so Tony was the first one yep. to ever calls you, call you into question. Yeah. Wow. What about at home, your personal life, family, friends? Yeah. What was, what was it like for your wife and children? Was there uh, a similar kind of toll taken on them? Yeah, but not in the same way. And for them, I was, it was pretty much I was absent. Uh, physically and emotionally, this was this was the result. But what's the what's the what is the source of all that? You know, and I could see pretty clearly that things from my childhood had impacted the marriage, and the the, the fact that I could never talk about the the sexual abuse made uh, all those relationships, including in my home, very uh, shallow and and uh, not healthy. You know. said time to talk <laughs> wow. and so I, that's the first time I shared it shared it with Denise mm. and uh, I mean it was it was like it was huge <laughs> mm. you know just the the chains were falling off and uh, each time that I talked about it I uh, felt more free more free exactly you know and it didn't mean that I didn't have a lot of healing left to do I, I did 
whereas I was the one that was always had to be in control, I've kind of gotten and able to get to the point where God's the one on the throne now, and right, right. I'm next to it. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I ended up, you know, um, changing my ways at that Pacific Life, and I tried to attend a lot of classes. I really tried to, to, um, you know, at first it was it was more effort, and then it became very natural, and that was to show the people that worked with me, the people I worked around, that I really cared about them, mm-hmm. and uh, I really do. I thought. Uh, uh, Jesus and how he treated his his uh, disciples and so forth and I mean that's really uh, that's a great model you know to, to to be be their friend and their companion and teach them and you know guide them and I mean just yeah. all the right yeah. leadership stuff what do you feel like you you learned from that sort of chapter of your leadership journey and how did it change what you did from there on out well, uh, I knew what it was like to be uh, rejected uh, from all those, those experiences I've had and how, how I had personally been hurt by a lot of it. And to, to think that I was doing some of the same stuff to people that worked for me and, mm-hmm. you know, by, um, you know, not being a team, <laughs> you know, but rather being sort of the dictator that, that you know, follow me. I was able to turn that ar- around for the most part. Not everybody... Forgives, <laughs> right? You know, generally moving forward, I was successful. I, do I think I'm a natural leader? And the answer is no. I don't think I am. I had to kind of work at it. And uh, have I learned uh, to be a better leader? And and um, you know, I I'm a <laughs> I'm probably the, the the king of facilitation now because when I'm leading a, a discussion, you know, I do very little talking and really try to. I had somebody comment last week uh, that they, they really liked my style because, you know, I don't sit up there and, and teach, 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 but rather uh, I let them do a lot of the teaching, you know, because they've got the, a lot of experience experience with in their own lives, you know, and they have, always have something to offer that can make a point. And uh, so I've learned a lot. Mm. <laughs> so... Um, so, so you were really motivated to be successful, and then things really started to shift in how you viewed your job and how you viewed leadership. What did leadership come to mean to you? I like I like to say a participative team effort uh, to accomplish you know whatever it is we were trying to accomplish. I really was more inclusive. <laughs> what was the first What was the first time you felt like you had a successful outcome? using the inclusive team facilitator model of leadership. What was that like? And how was it different from your previous successes in leadership? I can think of, I, I, there's probably many, but I can think of a couple very significant ones. And one was a... Um, and this is still at Pacific Life? That one of them was at Pacific Life, and the other is at uh, Cascade Employers, where I retired from. But at um, Pacific Life, it was a... Uh, we. We're charged to, um, you know, develop a, a new job evaluation system and to go out and evaluate all the jobs and basically start from scratch to, to make it more equitable. And, uh, you know, I had a team that, that we, I worked with uh, on my staff, but I also had some key people in management throughout the organization that, I, uh, that were real trustworthy to, 
say what was right for their organization so they could always provide us feedback. And so we, uh, we, we, <laughs> not me, <laughs> we accomplished that. And uh, at the very end of it, after you know we developed uh, all the job rankings and everything, we brought those people from around the organization together to have them look at you know not not just their jobs but the jobs from other areas, and there were uh, uh, only two challenges I think uh, two or three to the whole thing, you know which was really really hard to do you yeah. know something like that and so that was that was that was a good experience and it showed me the the real value of you know working with people mm -hmm. and uh, that you know. Two heads are definitely better than, than one. Uh, at uh, Cascade, uh, we was in the um, early 70s, which was everything was paper. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, the way it started at, at uh, Cascade, doing market pay surveys, okay, and to where everything was automated. And so I had to, to my, my uh, staff and I worked with a software company to develop a, a, a system that um, um, that they had never used before. Something very unique and uh, it's been very successful. They're still using it at, uh, at, at Cascade. So, you know, those, but, but, all, but not something I could have done by myself. Mm -hmm. And the other, the other thing is that, that um, I mean, there's probably a time when uh, if somebody was, was off on something. I wasn't afraid to tell them and kind of read them the riot act. And uh, but I learned that uh, kindness was far more effective than than uh, than you know accusing and telling them how they messed up. Mm -hmm. But just you know, uh, what is what is uh, what would what would kindness mean for you at, in those moments, or what did it look like? You know, uh, just you know. It was hard to work with a software company in, uh, from Salem, Oregon, working with a software company in Philadelphia. And so there's, there's bound to be a lot of communication issues. And, you know, I was just more, far more understanding and patient and, and kind. In fact, after I left uh, Cascade, the software company hired me on for a few months to do some work for them. Here in the home now, I've got three grandkids living here and a daughter and mm -hmm. and uh, in a lot of ways I'm getting the second shot at raising <laughs> kids so with the kindness approach yeah and and you know feeling the love coming back you mm -hmm. know and uh, tell me more about that you feel the love coming back yeah well honestly I didn't have a clue what love was uh, so I really didn't know how to love but I'll tell you one thing and I mentioned that I minored in theology and a lot of there was a lot of philosophy mixed in with it. I think God did this as well, but um, it was just a phrase out of this one philosophy book that said, love is a freedom from self-interest. Hmm. That just stuck with me. Love is a freedom from self-interest? Yes. Um, what did that mean to you? You know, I didn't totally understand it at the time. I can look at it now and because... You know, um, I do f feel love now, you know, that I didn't back back then, even for my own kids. I remember my the first time I really experienced emotion and love 
was when my first grandson was born. And I cried wow. when I heard him cry out, you know. And uh, I thought, wow, that was different, <laughs> you know. As I've healed and, and uh, I've become more emotional, I've, I, I, I feel love. I've, uh... So it's never too late to grow. Yeah. And I think there's still a lot of that going on uh, for me. Uh, now, when you say when you say love, mm-hmm. that's just such an abstract word. Like when you, as a leader, you're a professional, you're a vice president, you know, you're an officer in this public corporation. Um, what what did that look like? How did you demonstrate love to people? Well, I think that um, was something that was evolving. You know, I I think I mentioned today. I I, I really started to show that I care. I cared about what they thought. I asked them for input and and. Uh, um, but I, in a lot of ways, that was kind of forced at first, but it became very, very natural. As I moved on in my career, when I was here in Oregon at Cascade Employers Association, I really started connecting in a more genuine, natural way with, with them. And, um, you know, I wanted to make it a, a place that people like to come to work. Um, I, I really had to back off a lot, even on the results orientation, you know, the goals and and you know because part of the goal is to bring the people along and um, the person that uh, replaced me is somebody that I hired and trained all the way through hmm. and uh, she's very successful there at uh, Cascade now um, I just you know it didn't mean that everybody liked working for me <laughs> right right you know I mean you got to hire the right people to begin with and some just some don't work yeah work out I guess and uh but, it, but even in those cases, I tried to be kind about it. And yeah. So I heard you say, when, it taught, when you're demonstrating love mm-hmm. in the workplace, it really looked like showing concern for them and listening to, like, what, really listening to them, like what they were saying. and yeah, Caring about them as people and, and, you know, getting to know things about their family, what their interests were. And, uh, what do you feel like was the greatest... Uh, challenge or obstacle that you had to confront in your leadership journey? The, when I was confronted with uh, leaving bodies in your wake, that was huge. I mean, it was a. Um, the thing is, when you're hired into roles like that, they don't talk about that people piece. They talk about, okay, we've got all these problems with compensation, we've got 40% oh, right. turnover, and we got to fix this. They and just assume that you know it. They, they think it's going to be natural, and you know what? One of the things that I, I was also involved in all, the whole time was performance management, and I used all these stories about me in that training, you know, and uh, including, you know, don't assume somebody understands their goals, you know, because I was usually teaching supervisors and managers, and, um, you know, just uh, make them feed it back to you at least. Have them feed it back to you so that you know that they understand, okay. you know, because the whole idea here is to help people be successful. You know, it, what, that was like probably another issue about me is that my focus was on me being successful. Okay, wow. now I gotta. Now it's more about them being successful. Right. That's a know? huge readjustment. It, it is. It's a huge readjustment. So, um, you know, I might have worked in track. <laughs> sure. Stretchy, but, yeah. You know, Not I wouldn't work in football. I wouldn't really work in baseball. Right. I wouldn't work in a lot of the other sports. Yeah. But uh, so I'm kind of hearing you say that your greatest challenge was. A lot of it was internal. Well, you know, the, remember I said I'd made this vow right. back when I was about 14 that I was going to be a success. And, you know, I think there was a, there was a problem with that. 
Right. And because it 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 it, it drove me. Okay. Mm. I've actually since then gone back and renounced that. You, you know, a lot of people would f- probably hear that and say, "Well, that's a good." you know, commitment to make to be successful. I mean, sometimes people aren't really that familiar with the word vow. Like the only context we normally have for that is like a wedding vow. Right. So it's, it's it's this promise. It's this statement of commitment and covenant and intention. And so you're 14 and you're making this vow. You're making this promise. You're making this declaration and and a covenant almost with success. Like I will be successful. But that sounds fine on the outside. So, sure. so what was it about that that made you feel like it was it was just deceptive, or there was some kind of component to it that was not right? Was well, I, you know, I, I, to me, it became idolatry. That was more important than than God. Oh, okay. I didn't think of it that way, but it was more important than my family. Um, and and I, again, I wasn't thinking that way, but. Um, when you look at all the bodies I left in my wake, mm-hmm. you know, and the impact I had on people, that was not a godly vow, right. <laughs> you know. Right. And uh, um, what do you feel like in this current season of your life excites you most about leadership and the the leadership roles that you have? Uh, it, it's it's all directed at helping people. You know, I don't feel like that I. I have to succeed. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't feel like you have to succeed. I don't feel like I have to su- do something for me. Okay, now it's for God, and it's for uh, others. And uh, and now, would you say that that becomes success for you? Is when it's about when others yes succeed others succeed, and, or in this case, gain their freedom. Maybe there's like a, a person, a young person, or. Maybe they're not even young, but they're just kind of beginning to take their own leadership seriously. What would you What would you say to them to say here Here's Here's how you can take a next step toward becoming the uh, a great leader, a great person of influence, and really making an impact. If you're If you're leading, I think you have to be uh, pretty transparent. You know. And uh, don't just assume they know you care. Show them. <laughs> okay. And uh, not just for people that you're directing, but the people that you're working with around the organization. And What would you say to your 20-year-old self that you would say, maybe as a warning or as an encouragement to uh, be successful as a leader? For me, I'd say deal with your past and, and get to the, the level of growth that you need to. And don't wait like I did. Um, 45 years after the event to ever tell anybody about it. If there's pain in your life, you need to deal with it. You know, I, uh, at, um, I think it was when Jeff and, what was her name? Kari Patterson? Kari, I think it's when they were talking, teaching. Uh, yeah, actually, they 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 were in an episode of uh, Leadership Report. Yeah, so. and I believe it was when, and I'm almost positive they were there. And uh, I really felt strongly that um, I was supposed to share my testimony to the the young folks there, and uh, so uh, I mentioned to Adam, and Adam talked to... Well, oh, is this at the, the Lake Shasta retreat yeah. with Real Life Ministries? Yeah, yeah. Okay. and it was the, like the seven-minute version. I talked about, you know, the abuse and physical or the sexual abuse, and I said, you know, I know there's, there's other people here that that's 
they've had similar experience or something that 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 pain in their life that they, they just need to address, you know. Right. And that night in the cabin times was amazing. There was a lot of healing going on. And you could hear, you know, between the, the houseboats, you could hear people, you know, cheering. And, and I didn't really understand what was totally going I knew what was going on in our houseboat. And there was, there was some real healing and, uh, and just acknowledgments of things that had happened. Right, right. And, and so I would, wow. yes, I'll talk to, to anybody about You know, one of the things I'm taking away from what you're saying right now that's kind of coming together in my mind is that, because you, you said, be transparent. And you said, confront the issues of your past that are causing you to hide and that are hindering your relationships. And as a leader, when I'm transparent, when I take the time and I value myself and the people that I'm impacting enough to actually deal with the things that are holding me back, and then I go a step further and I take those things and I bring them into the light and I become transparent with them, it kind of sets this tone or it, for other people to step into that transparency. Yeah, it does. It's like it creates this, it's like a catalyst of hope in the people that you're influencing, the people that you're leading, that they too can have a transformed life and become more free and successful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, God wants to encourage you and... and, Right. Yeah. uh, ...be to be free, and the enemy wants to keep you, you know. Don't, don't talk about that. People will, will reject you, and uh, you know, I've already had enough rejection. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, they won't like you. They won't respect you. And would you call and, that shame? Guilt and shame. Yeah. Yeah. And all those things. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. thanks so much for sharing. Yeah. About um, your healing process and uh, some insights from your, you know, professional journey as a leader, and also just what it's looked like for you to be a leader at, uh, with with your wife and kids too and at home and um, I know a lot of that was really helpful for me especially what you shared about transparency and uh, so I hope um, you know whoever is listening to this as well you know maybe go back and kind of write down some of those like kind of key concepts for you that um, you know, that when maybe one of us you know Jerry you or, or me said something and it just really kind of struck a chord in you to make sure not to just kind of come away from this conversation um, and kind of forget what happened, but 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 think about that and how you could uh, implement transparency and uh, vulnerability yeah. in your life and confront the issues um, in your own past that they're really holding you back from the success that you know God would have for you too. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Leadership Portraits Podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, I would appreciate your help in getting the word out. Perhaps you could share it with someone else you think would benefit from this content. Until next time, I hope the leader in you is inspired and growing. And thank you so much for journeying with me uh, through the Leadership Portraits Podcast series.